just a reminder, here at That's So Chronic, we are dedicated to sharing personal stories. We are not advocating any type of treatment, therapy, procedure or intervention. Everyone is unique, so please seek professional medical advice before making any decisions for yourself or for others. Welcome to That's So Chronic, the podcast where I, Jess Bryan, interview some incredible people from around the world that are thriving and sometimes only just surviving with chronic illnesses, life-changing injuries and potentially disastrous diagnoses. Today I'm chatting to Elizabeth about her diagnosis of multiple sclerosis, but it also feels like an extra special episode. What you'll learn throughout the interview is that Elizabeth doesn't really talk about her diagnosis a lot, but she really wanted to share her story with all of you. In this episode, Elizabeth shares the diagnosis process that eventuated after a diagnosis of optic neuritis, how she felt when her symptoms had a name, her management plan including diet and Tysabri infusions, and of course, why she felt inspired to share her story today. Like I say in the interview, people choosing That's So Chronic as a place to share their journeys is not something that I ever take for granted. So a big thank you to Elizabeth and to everyone else who has shared their stories with me. You make this podcast what it is today. Welcome to That's So Chronic. We are going to be talking about a condition that is quite close to home for me. We are talking about your diagnosis of multiple sclerosis or MS where you were diagnosed in 2019. So thank you so much for coming to chat with me today. No, thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. (laughs) So where shall we start with your story? Is diagnosis the beginning or were you experiencing symptoms for a while before you started to seek a diagnosis? Like where does your MS journey start do you think? Well that's a good question actually. My MS journey for me started when I was diagnosed. Yeah. To answer your question though I was experiencing a lot of MS symptoms for a really long time before I was diagnosed, Mm -hmm. but it literally never crossed my mind once that there was something wrong. So for me, yeah, it really does start with diagnosis. Yeah. Yeah. So what was that diagnosis process like? What was the symptom that inspired you to go and seek? Like, oh, I actually need to go and talk to somebody about this. (laughs) Well, I'll be honest, it was more um, of a thing where I just couldn't ignore it anymore (laughs) like I absolutely had to go and have something you know checked out I had to have it seen to and like again being honest my diagnosis story is not you know it's it's pretty run-of-the-mill in terms of being diagnosed with MS in the sense that I was diagnosed as a result of optic neuritis Mm -hmm. which of course is when your immune system attacks both or one of your optic nerves and in my case it was my left optic nerve um, which as you're probably be aware of course caused uh blindness and and a lot of pain as well so at that point you really can't you can't ignore it anymore so yeah (laughs) what was the uh process like like did you go and see an optician or were you straight to like a hospital or your GP well what I did was this got progressively worse for me over the course of five days I 
in hindsight, it's 2020. I should have gone on the first day, but I left it um, for six days. Yeah. By which point I was, I had probably about 50% of my left eye was, you know, sort of blind essentially. And it was really painful. So I went and saw a GP to answer your question. My GP was amazing. Um, I saw her at 10 a.m. on the Friday and she said, yeah, look, I think you need to go and see an optometrist. And luckily I got an optometrist appointment at two o'clock that day. And it was the optometrist that said to me, uh, you need to go to the, I think it was the emergency eye care center in Green Lane. So I went there that evening and um, mm, yeah, big day. Yeah. And so when you go to the specialist eye clinic, what... Mm. Do they do there? Are they able to diagnose the object neuritis and then is there more steps moving forward? Yeah, so I had, as as I'm sure you know, many, many tests done that evening. They were amazing, by the way. I went there without an appointment yeah. and they uh, saw the piece of paper that my optometrist had given me and uh, sort of pushed me to the front of the line. I had a lot of tests done. What they were, I couldn't tell you. Yeah. It was sort of a bit of a blur, but... By about 7.30 that evening, I was still there. And that was the point at which they said to me, we need to do further testing. We could get you in for a CT scan this evening, but we need to see more sort of fine details. So what we want is an MRI. And we can't do that until Wednesday. But they did say to me, essentially, they said it's either um, a cancer, a tumor, or it's MS. So, Oh, my God. Yeah. (laughs) That is really full on. Yeah. I don't know if you can sort of relate to this though, but in those moments where it is scary and you know there's something really wrong with you, you don't necessarily feel scared because you're so sort of in the moment. Yeah. I didn't feel really emotional or anything like that. I did have this weird gut feeling though. I, I knew I knew nothing about MS at the time. Uh, They just said cancer, tumor, or MS, which are three scary words. But I just had this weird feeling that it was, it was MS. And um, between then and the Wednesday when I had my MRI, and that was the day I was diagnosed, I sort of had time to prepare myself for that. So being diagnosed, yes, it was difficult, but yeah, it was, you know. It is what it is. It wasn't as hard as you think I thought it might have been. It's so interesting because just comparing your story to my story, mm. you know, the words that you got given that it could be cancer, tumor, or MS, yeah. I got it could be MS or I flu. <laughs> I flu? What is that? Like, <laughs> I've never just heard got, that. <laughs> I, you've just got like the flu and your eye is just a little bit sick at the moment. And so MS was like, the worst case scenario. Whereas oh, I no. guess in comparison, like maybe cancer would or a tumor would have been the worst case scenario. And MS is kind of like framed as, you know, you know what I mean? Eye flu is a new one for me. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I'd never heard that before. So yeah. <laughs> and so you get the MRI, they see the results mm-hmm. and you mentioned that that's when you were diagnosed. What was that day like? Um, Well, I I have to say that every medical professional that I saw throughout my diagnosis process was so, I feel really fortunate. They were amazing and they made it easier on me. They said the MRI results usually for them at least take 48 hours to process and get a result. But I got my results probably within two hours of having the MRI. Yeah, yeah. 
so yeah, I remember I was sitting in a specialist's room. I was having, again, I was having a lot of tests done on this day as well. Yeah. And yeah, the specialist called the uh, image reviewer in front of me and then, yeah, turned to me and said, you know, I'm really sorry, but it is MS, wow. which as you know, I'm not sure what your story was like. It's quite a surreal moment. Yeah. yeah it's all a bit of a blur for me, really. Yeah. Can you remember how you felt in that moment I guess you had had a couple of days to prepare that this might be what it is yeah when they said yeah this is what it is it's MS can you remember how you felt I know a lot of people describe that moment as just feeling like relief like oh I have a name for something but can you remember how you felt I you know I can't sit here and say that it was incredibly difficult like I say medical professionals made it really easy yeah I'd had this weird feeling don't ask me how yeah. but I you, like you say I'd had time to prepare for it and when she told me I actually made a comment to her which in hindsight was probably a bit strange I said uh, she said I'm so sorry to have had to have told you this and I said well it can't be nice for you having to tell me that so thank you so much for, yeah. <laughs> for your help and for helping me and I meant it genuinely yeah. but I don't remember a specific emotion or feeling yeah I was by myself that day in the hospital my partner he physically couldn't leave work he was out on site yeah I feel like I deal with these things well when I'm on my own but the moment I don't know if you can relate to this. The moment that your your partner or someone yeah. that you love is with you, that's when I get emotional. So the moment I left that room, I had to go and have blood, blood tests done and then go upstairs for a steroid treatment for my eye. Yeah, so the moment I left the room, that's when I called my partner and that's when I felt sad. Wow. For me, when I was diagnosed, I remember... And it definitely wasn't immediate. It was in the sort of weeks afterwards. I remember just feeling really concerned and I guess frightened for what the future, what I had imagined the future to look like. And a lot of that was in terms of like travel and whether I'd be able to do that. Do you remember feeling any sort of concern for like, oh, what is the rest of my life going to look like now? Again, I'll be honest. I will say no, I didn't. This is so strange. You think no. you would feel concerned, but ugh, until it happens to you, hey, um, yeah, I, I didn't feel any concern. I don't see, I am naturally an overthinker, yeah. but in this sort of moment, I didn't see any point in sitting and sort of thinking about it. I, like many other people, knew someone when I was younger who, who has MS, okay. and this was well before the treatments that we have now were available. And if I thought about her and that could be me and her level of disability, yeah, like that made me sad and I was concerned about it. But I'll be honest and say that my diagnosis actually gave me a massive positive and that was all of these symptoms and all of these things that had been happening to me for almost a decade really before yeah. I was diagnosed, all of a sudden made sense. Yeah. And I'd previously sort of put these things down to, um, at risk of being a bit too deep and dark here, but being honest, I just sort of blamed it all on myself or it was something to do with my personality or yeah. I was just a little bit sort of useless in a way. And all of a sudden I actually had a reason for these things happening. So I wasn't concerned. It really gave me a deep sense of understanding for myself. That's incredible. And I think that that's something that, you know, a lot of people 
don't necessarily share that when everything mm-hmm. just like it's one of it's one of the most horrible things that a person can go through I guess is like getting a diagnosis of something but the amount of clarity that can then come from that yeah. can be such a positive that's right yeah so you sort of I don't know I, at least I know I, I walked through my life really not understanding myself yeah. with no sort of end to it and then all of a sudden the penny dropped and I could sort of move on with my life in a yeah. sense so yeah it wasn't it was difficult but it wasn't all negative so yes yeah mm. <laughs> so if you look back you mentioned that you had had symptoms that with hindsight now looking back you can equate to being the MS what kind of symptoms were those that you were experiencing in that decade before if you can remember I do remember yeah I throughout school I noticed some quite significant cognitive changes mm-hmm. I never mentioned them because I felt really embarrassed but one of them being my memory, for sure. Yeah. I used to get these really strange sensations, like tingling sensations on my back, my legs, or like pinching sensations, which were strange. I I would feel really numb in places sometimes, particularly sort of like my fingers and my toes. But I think above all, and to this day, this is still my worst symptom, was the fatigue. Yeah. As as I, I know is the case with a lot of people with MS, the fatigue was always the most difficult thing to deal with. And I think that that was where the sense of feeling a little bit useless came from because I just wasn't capable or didn't have the energy to keep up with the rest of the world. So, yeah. yeah. If you could describe the fatigue which I know is really hard to do (laughs) but if someone listening is like has just never experienced fatigue that can come with a condition like MS how would you describe it in your words yeah that's so difficult I think first it's important to note that at least for me fatigue is both physical and mental yeah so I mean the physical side of it I once sort of likened it I stood at the bottom of a flight of stairs that I had to walk up and I thought I feel like I'm wearing lead boots yeah (laughs) I I don't know how I'm gonna get up those stairs but in terms of describing fatigue generally I can really easily differentiate between when I'm tired and when I'm fatigued and I feel like being tired is being asked to do something Uh, by someone and you go oh my goodness I'm so tired I really don't want to but I can um and I will being fatigued is actually genuinely questioning can I get up off of the settee right now or at work with mental fatigue it's oh my goodness can I can I write this report right now I'm not I'm not sure yeah that's probably the closest I can get to it, but it's so difficult to uh, sort of encapsulate. But yeah. Okay, so you've had the MRI, you've received the diagnosis, and you've gone upstairs to get steroids for the optic neuritis. How long until you got relief from the symptoms of optic neuritis? Hmm, that's a good question. I I don't actually recall exactly. I had a three-day round of steroids at the hospital and then mm-hmm. I had, I think it was three and a half weeks of oral steroids um, yep. tempered off. I feel as though within the first week, I, I consider myself incredibly lucky. I got all of the vision back in my yeah. eye. So I'd say within a week I was feeling 
much much better aside from the fact of being on steroids which yeah. is never a pleasant experience <laughs> but yeah I mean it was pre- it was pretty quick so yeah, yeah I'm, I'm pretty lucky yeah and then was there discussions of well how do how do we manage this was a treatment plan offered to you on that day when you had the diagnosis or was it like let's just get optic neuritis better first and then we'll assess the situation again I don't exactly recall but I did have an appointment booked with uh, a neurologist pretty quickly afterwards so I would say it's probably the latter in the sense that we dealt with the optic neuritis um, and then I was you know to see it to see a neurologist but yeah when I saw my neurologist he explained it to me and said that you know usually to get you on this treatment we would need to wait until you had another relapse to sort of my understanding is like a demonstration of a pattern or reoccurrence of symptoms yeah and I think unfortunately it's to meet the criteria for funding I didn't want to say it but yeah yeah that's what it is (laughs) yeah (laughs) I yeah I don't want this to come off as a negative because again I consider this a a positive that's how I choose to see it um but he said your MRI showed sort of damage to your brain as such that there's clear evidence that okay you do have recurring MS and it's at the, you know, sort of significant enough level to approve you immediately. So I'm grateful that I was approved to go on Tysabri straight away. Amazing. Yeah. That's mm. exactly what happened to me as well. It is. They were like, you don't have to wait for the other one. We can clearly see that there's something going on in there. Right. Yeah. yeah it's a so strange feel really feeling, lucky. right? Well, yeah, because you feel lucky, but then you think, oh my goodness, I'm so, I'm so young. Yeah. And they're saying that it's sort of, bad enough to get straight on treatment but yeah because actually that's a good point how old were you when all of this was happening I was I was 23 yeah wow what about you I was 21 right really 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 young then yeah Yeah. okay so Ty Sabri oh Mm -hmm. actually before we carry on and chat about the treatment if somebody is listening to That's So Chronic, and this might be the first episode they've ever clicked into, and they've got no idea what MS is because they haven't heard me talk about it all the time, <laughs> how would you describe what multiple sclerosis is? My understanding. I'd, I'll be honest and say that I try not to focus on it too much. Um, yeah. So my knowledge of it may be a little bit behind. It's just something that I don't want to focus on all the time. Yeah, that's totally fair enough. Yeah, I will say that um, my understanding of it is that it is a neurodegenerative autoimmune disease in which your immune system which usually does an amazing job of keeping you well mistakes your nerves or your nerve covering for being something that it needs to attack yeah and when you have nerves that are damaged it causes unfortunately usually permanent damage um, to nerves in your brain and spine uh, which is where the progressive sort of disability comes from yeah and so treatments like Tysabri are able to tackle this annoying immune system slash you know put a barrier around the places where the immune system can get in so you decided to go with Tysabri was there an option or was it kind of like this is the one that you should try they said that this was a good starting starting point if it works fantastic if it doesn't then we've got other options so that that's what we we went for. There is, of course, you know, there are people who who choose to opt out of medication and and treat things naturally. It's completely up to you. You're under no obligation to to take the treatment that's being offered to you. I chose to do that. Um, I'm really yeah. grateful for that. But I also manage my health in more natural ways as well, which I definitely love to chat about throughout this episode as well. But I guess still continuing with Ty Sabri. 
what is your schedule, I guess? So for the first few years, actually, I was getting them every four weeks. Mm-hmm. I am JC, JCV negative, which yeah. puts me at a lesser risk of developing is it PML. Yeah, PML. PML. I always forget. But that's that's another sort of rabbit hole, really. Um, yeah. I was every four weeks. And then my neurologist said, look, this is working really great for you, but we recommend we'll, we'll lengthen it out to every six weeks just to, Perfect. again, reduce that risk of developing PML if I was JCV positive at any point. How did you feel going from four weeks to six weeks? Because I know in my experience, I was like, this is life changing. Like I get a whole two other weeks where I don't have to come in to the hospital. I was pleased because... Yeah, no one wants to be at the hospital. It does take up a lot of your time, even though it is only once every four or six weeks. I feel like it's quite time consuming. Yeah, so I mean, that was good. But I'm I'm still sort of yet to, I probably need to research this, yet to sort of determine whether this is placebo or not. But I find that on the run up to when I'm due my infusion, my fatigue gets a lot worse. So yeah. I, I do find it difficult being sort of six weekly as opposed to four weekly. Yeah, perhaps when you first started Thai Sabri or even now, a few years later, once you've had the infusion, do you experience any side effects like that evening or the next day? It's so changeable. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. Um, And I'm not sure what the variables are and what causes that. (laughs) (laughs) It's a mystery. But yes, I... Even when the drug is being infused, I start to feel really, really drowsy or tired. And there have been times where I felt nauseous as well. And that night I'll usually, you know, just sort of go home and and have a a quiet night in really because I do feel tired. But then over the next few days, I start to sort of perk up a little bit. So I actually had my last infusion on Friday. I was exhausted mm-hmm. and I was exhausted on Saturday as well. But yesterday and today, I feel much brighter. There's someone that I follow on Instagram and she describes it as a Thai Sabri hangover. Oh, okay. <laughs> and it's kind of just like feeling a little bit run down for the next day, but then, you know, you slowly get better and things are fine. Yeah, I can relate to that. Again, I'm not sure, you know, again, whether this is sort of placebo, whether it's different between people, what causes it, but... Yeah, I can, I can sort of relate to the, the hangover feeling, yeah. <laughs> Before we carry on with the interview, I wanted to quickly jump in here and say a couple of things. Normally, when you're listening to a podcast, this might be when you hear an ad for a product or a service. But today, this is an ad for... Well, that's so chronic. If you aren't already, I would be so grateful if you headed over to Instagram and gave at that's so chronic a follow. It's where you can keep up to date with announcements, see behind the scenes of what goes into making this show, and also gives you a little bit of an insight into my brain. So if you missed it, that's at that's so chronic on Instagram. A big thank you for listening to this episode, and let's get back to the interview. So you also said before about being able to manage your MS, moving away from the medicine and implementing other strategies into your management plan. What does that look like for you? I have experimented a lot over the years with diet. Mm -hmm. I thought I had a really healthy diet before and I did, but I could have, I could have been better. Yeah. (laughs) So I actually do the WALS protocol, which I think is an MS specific diet. 
in yeah, essence. Yeah, I don't know much about that, so feel free to explain. Well, uh, it's super exciting. Um, I <laughs> <laughs> it's it's like a paleo principle based diet. Okay. Where in essence you you eat uh, meat, fruit, nuts, vegetables, that sort of thing. I think yeah. the Walls Protocol is a little bit more restrictive than paleo i'm happy to be proven wrong though i don't know everything probably as much as i should but yeah i previously was vegetarian and at some points Mm -hmm. vegan so the meat thing is still something that i struggle with i can only really bring myself to eat chicken so yeah yeah, i eat chicken lots of vegetables lots of fruit lots of nuts um stay away from processed foods any sort of fizzy drinks Anything like that. All the things that are so good, but we all know are are bad for us in (laughs) essence. Yeah. And was it the MS diagnosis that really forced you to have a look at your diet and sort of feel a bit more inspired and motivated to stick to this? Or do you think it's sort of something that you're actually quite interested in regardless? I've always played around with my diet and tried many different things. So I, you know, I've always enjoyed doing that. So it was just sort of an extension of that really, but you definitely take it more seriously. You, I at least have noticed that when I'm on this diet and I have been for a long time, if I sort of have a, a cheap meal or if I drink alcohol, I really notice the difference in the way that I feel, which is yeah. enough of a preventative to not yeah. do it too regularly, really. So, yeah. Mm. And how are you feeling now? A few years after you were diagnosed 2019? Mm. Yeah, it was in yeah. July 2019. So it's coming up four years this year then. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. How have the last four years been? Is everything working? Yeah, I, I'll be honest. Like it, it is so up and down. I yeah. I have phases and periods of time where I I just struggle and I there's just no clear reason as to why I'm struggling. My symptoms sometimes are okay and other times they get really bad and it really yeah. affects my life. I will say that overall I feel more well now and I think that can be attributed of course to the medication yeah. and and the diet and lifestyle changes. But yeah, I'm sure you can relate to this. It's just such an up and down disease to live with. You have moments yeah. where you believe that you're sort of 10 foot tall and bulletproof and there's nothing wrong with you. And then all of a sudden you just get humbled by it. So yeah, yeah. overall it's good. And I really can't complain. I'm so grateful to have access to treatments and medications and, and things like that. But yeah, it's it's not an easy disease to, to live with. I guess sticking with the roller coaster analogy, on those times where you are perhaps, you know, lower down on the tracks, what would your symptoms look like then? How would you know that you're sort of on this roller coaster? Well, like I said earlier, like my my main symptom and my, my worst symptom is, is the fatigue. Um, and yeah. like I said, I don't think that's uncommon for people with MS. So I know that my symptoms are sort of getting worse or I'm having a bit of a flare up if I'm consistently fatigued with no relief. I feel fatigue every day of my life. It's Mm -hmm. just a part of my life. But you could say like, for example, last week when I was due my infusion, I I felt fatigued constantly with no relief from it. And when I feel fatigued, my other symptoms get worse as well in terms of my neuropathic pain, my cognitive issues, like my memory, 
or even sort of being social as well, I can struggle with that. So yeah, once the fatigue gets bad, everything else seems to get worse as well. And sometimes with fatigue, there's just no relief from it yeah. until it sort of decides to go away. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're sort of at the mercy of it for a little while sometimes, yeah. Being diagnosed with MS is, you know, perhaps wasn't on your bingo card for your life. <laughs> no, no, it wasn't. And I'm really curious, you mentioned that you were able to think back to one person in your life who you knew had MS. And I'm curious as to whether when you were diagnosed, you decided to, I guess, connect with others or if you wanted to connect with the community and to try and find out as much as you could or, or if you sort of kept this quite close. Yeah, I will admit that it was uh, certainly the latter. Um, I, my sort of way of dealing with things and processing them is that I need a lot of time and a lot of space yeah. to just be by myself and, and deal with it. I am, you know, I'm an introvert as well. I, I don't feel like I need to talk to people about things or I don't need everyone in my life to know about it. Even to this day, not everyone in my life knows that I have it. Yeah. And I, yeah, of course I, you know, I was a student of Google and I uh, sort of looked up resources and things like that. And being honest, a lot of the stuff out there was not positive and yeah. that is not what I needed at that point in time. So I will say that I did stay away from sort of the community, which sounds terrible. And I've always no. felt quite guilty about it. Oh my goodness. You do not need to feel guilty at all because mm. I feel the exact same. And I okay. feel weird about it sometimes, like getting really personal and honest as well. Like it doesn't feel beneficial for me to constantly be in a Facebook group or whatever and just be mm. like reminded about it. And I think... Yeah. I'm not sure if you can relate to these feelings, but for me, it was like, I can kind of cope if it's me. And then just realizing that there's all these other people that are feeling the same. And I just felt so sad <laughs> about that. And yeah, you feel empathy for yeah. people going through the same thing that you are. And that can be kind of exhausting a little bit. Yeah. Um, and it's not that you don't care because you do. Yeah. But it can be hard to be surrounded by MS this, yes. MS that. I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. yeah. And I guess that also ties into perhaps not everybody in your life knowing about mm. MS. What has inspired you to be so open with me and with everybody listening today to share your story? I know. How contradictory that <laughs> I'm here. Um. <laughs> it's like a That's So Chronic exclusive. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I... Earlier this year, I had a period of time, like what we were saying before, with the roller coaster. I was really struggling with it. And I had this moment of, oh my gosh, like no one in my life, you know, super dramatic. No one in my life knows what I'm going through. Yeah. Can't talk to anyone. Oh my gosh. Where are all the people that actually know how I feel? And I, again, uh, took to Google and started looking things up. And I found lots of resources, your podcast included, where I listened to people um, or I read what people had written about their experiences. And I had that feeling of validation of, oh my gosh, you know, it's not just me and there are other people out there and I'm not crazy for thinking that yeah. that was an MS symptom or whatever. 
So I'm here to answer your question because I feel as though I have benefited from other people sharing their stories quietly. And if there's anything that I could do to sort of contribute and give back, then that's that's what I would like to do. I feel it's only right. So that's why I am here, despite yeah. never really talking about it. <laughs> and I feel like everybody's journeys with MS or any chronic illness or disability or injury or, or anything, everyone's journeys are so different as well. Mm-hmm. And I think being able to share as many different stories is really important as well so that people can yeah, see themselves in as many different places as possible, I suppose. Yeah, it does it does really help when you when you when you need it the most. So Yeah. yeah. Have you ever had moments where you've just sat there and gone like, Why me? Why why did this happen to me it's okay if you haven't as well (laughs) I haven't no and again I think I have to go back to that really deep understanding that my diagnosis gave me I've never really questioned why me or you know why is this my life or it's not fair or yeah (laughs) anything like that even though it is really unfair by the way yeah (laughs) um, but I've never really thought like that just for the sense of the fact again that I got so much from it yeah yeah I've had a realization recently that a lot of people that listen to these episodes don't necessarily have chronic illnesses themselves and they might be listening because they are supporting a friend or a family member or someone in their life that is going through a diagnosis and I'm wondering would you have a piece of advice to give to somebody who's listening who might be supporting somebody through a diagnosis or or even just supporting them living their lives with whatever might be going on for them. Is there something that you've noticed has been really awesome when people do? That's a really good question. And it's a difficult one to answer, I suppose, because it is so individual. Yeah. One person might appreciate something that another person doesn't. So I guess from my perspective, as much as I, especially when I was initially diagnosed, I I really just wanted to be left alone. I didn't want the attention. It's a really isolating experience. And there were a few people in my life who, and sometimes it's the people that you least expect. And that was certainly the case with me. There were people in my life who really, you know, came to the table and did really small things like someone said to me they didn't say oh, I'm I'm so sorry but they said if there's anything I can do for you just let me know and I'm here yeah and it was so simple but it meant so much or I have another friend who had never hugged me in their life and they didn't say anything but they gave me a hug for the first time yeah and it just meant the world or there was someone who was sort of an acquaintance of mine and they I just wouldn't have expected it. They were so lovely and they they baked me a cake. <laughs> they wrote me a note, which I still have and I will never get rid of. And it, it really is just the small supports for me. The worst thing that I experience when it comes to other people, and I, I still experience this to this day, is people sort of, you never expect people to understand, but people sort of ignoring it or not having any sort of appreciation that there might be something going on here, that's very isolating. So 
I'd say it's just the small things. I don't yeah. know if that's a good answer. No, that's amazing. <laughs> and I think that that will inspire a lot of people in ways that they might be able to reach out and help somebody in their life that is going through something similar. Speaking of a support network, what does your support network look like? Again, like I will say that um, this is a symptom of me being quite introverted um, and quite shy as well. I, I don't really talk about it. I feel as though, like you said before, I, I can deal with this. Yeah. When I'm by myself, I, yeah. I can deal with it. And you, I don't know if you can relate to this, but this horrible word that pops up, this horrible feeling of being a burden a little bit I do admittedly I shelter everyone in my life from my MS because I don't want it to affect them yeah but to answer your question in terms of a support system I have an amazing partner who you know we were together long before I was diagnosed yeah and that can't have been easy for him and you do have to have many difficult conversations mature conversations when yeah. you're when you're 23 and you're, this has happened to you he is my support system in a sense that doesn't mean that we need to sit down and talk about it all the time yeah. he's just my best friend and he's yeah. there for me I also you know I love dogs and I have my own dog and he you know all he needs to do is just be there and yes. that's a great support for me I sometimes you know dogs are sort of better than humans yeah <laughs> At supporting you and he does a lot for me but my partner's parents as well I don't know where I would be without them they are a huge part of my support system that's amazing and of course you know friends and things like that but again we don't really talk about it I don't want to burden them with it I don't even know how much they know about it to be honest yeah but just having a social aspect in my life you know that's a support in itself so no sort of grand gestures of support just yeah. sort of having people there is enough. Yeah. Just watch everybody go and get a dog. <laughs> <laughs> it does help. <laughs> yeah. But I think that's so true because it is actually just so personal, this mm -hmm. diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And regardless of being, you know, I talk about it all the time and, and love to share, but it is so personal. And I guess nobody will, will ever truly understand what it's like except yourself. And I think that's mm. also something that I don't necessarily hear a lot of people talk about. And it's not necessarily information that you need to share with everybody mm. or everyone in your life. Because we have people for different things, don't we? You know? Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I guess my final question, how does life look for you now? Four years, nearly four years after diagnosis, you're on Thai Sabri, you've found a diet that works for you, lifestyle changes, all of that, your symptoms mentally, physically, how is life looking for you now? Great. I have a really good life that I am so grateful for. Like I say, I, I have an amazing partner, an amazing yeah. dog. Um, <laughs> we, we bought our first home last year and that's, you know, been a huge contributor to, to our lives and, and working on that, giving you sort of purpose. By no means do I have it all figured out. I yeah. still <laughs> struggle with my MS all the time. It's there every moment of every day, but it doesn't sort of take away from me enjoying my life and, and being grateful for what I do have. So yeah, it's, it's good. Amazing. Just what an awesome story. And thank you so much for sharing with me and everybody listening today. I, 
it's not something that I take for granted that you've chosen me to share your story with. So thank you so much. No, thank you. I, I really appreciate it. And like I said earlier, um, thank you for doing what you do because your podcast was a platform, as I say, that that helped me when, when I needed it. So yeah, thank you. Oh my goodness. Thank you. <laughs> I'm really bad at accepting compliments. I don't know if you can tell. <laughs> It's so uncomfortable for no reason, yeah. right? Like there's no reason, but it just is. <laughs> Amazing. Honestly, why is it that accepting compliments is so awkward? But in all seriousness, hearing how much that so chronic was able to support Elizabeth through a tough period of time was incredible. And like I mentioned in the intro, it truly is because of everyone who has shared their stories. Speaking of, if you would like to share your story, head to the show notes for a link to the Google form. Also in the show notes is where you can find links to follow That So Chronic on Instagram and TikTok and how to subscribe to the monthly newsletter over on Substack. You know the drill, make sure you've follow on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and leave a review if you're feeling super nice today. All of this really helps That So Chronic get into more ears around the world to hopefully spread awareness and, more importantly, hope. I'll see you next week.